All right. We're going to be in Revelation today. And uh, Revelation 3 is where we're going to start, and then we're going to go right back into 2. And uh, don't don't get uh, disheartened whenever we start talking about these two. I know usually these are messages put together to tell us how bad we are, and that is not the case today. I actually... uh, I love Revelation 2 and 3 because it gives you a rundown of what could be fixed in the church, but it also gives you a rundown of what Jesus expects of the church, right? And uh, I personally look at the church often and I can say, man, I wish we were better at this. And not just our church, but the church as a whole. But if you actually sit there and you take a clear picture of what the church is doing, I think if Jesus came and he wrote a letter to the Church of America, he would say, you guys do a lot of good stuff. You guys are helping the homeless. You guys are helping the poor. You guys are helping the uh, orphans. You guys are, you guys have created hospitals, you know. Just about every good thing in America came from the church. Even most of the good stuff that the government is now in charge of, the church set it up and handed it into the hands of the government to manage it. And so we often can get distracted that maybe the church should be doing more and I don't know that the church necessarily should be doing more. I think the church should have more people involved, right? The harvest is plenty. The workers are few. But I don't want us to get distracted to always think like that, you know, we, we're not doing a very good job. When we, for, I think for the amount of workers there are, the church is listening. Now, are we where we need to be? No, we're not. But we, we can't get discouraged and think like we're not there. We have to remember there are some good stuff going on right there. On any given day, if I see a homeless person, there's a place I can take them, right? And they'll get ministered to on any given day if they want it. Half time, they don't want it, but it doesn't matter what they want. It matters what we're willing to do. And, uh, you know, one one small part of the body can't minister to all. But as a whole, we have a lot out there to offer. And part of the issue we have is we're not connected very well, and, and we'll get there too. And uh, and we're getting there. But I don't want you to listen to any of this and get disheartened and say, wow, we need to just blow this whole thing up. No, this is going to be more encouraging, I think. So, uh, Revelation 3, and we will be in verse 7. And this is to the... Church of Philadelphia, I want to start there first because it's always the most encouraging. And it said, uh, I want you to know the Church of Philadelphia was, um, we obviously know it comes from phileo, the, the brotherly love thing. But this is one of the interesting things about the Church of Philadelphia that a lot of people don't know. It was the youngest of all the churches he writes to. And uh, so they were just starting out. And I, I often think maybe. That could have been helpful because they haven't got into their traditions too much. But sometimes we think because something's new, it's not as valuable either. But this would be the youngest ones. Uh, it was actually set up to help those. Uh, the church was set up to help missionaries that, that were going out to speak to the Hellenistic Jews and to help them out and to be a respite and all that and help them out. But anyway, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, 
who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And I'm not going to read all those awesome things and all and every one of them that John writes about Jesus, but whenever you read, if you just read the way G, John, who knew Jesus so well, the way he describes Jesus and all these, it's just like, wow. You know, which the angel is the one who told him to write it, but it's just it just blows my mind. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So whenever he's saying you have little power, that doesn't mean like spiritual power. He's talking about you don't have a lot of authority within your area so far. You don't have a lot of um there's not a lot of worldly power they have, and uh, which obviously we're in that same way. And it says, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast that you what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in a temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of the heavens, and my own name, my own new name. He who has a he- ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I'm going to pray. And uh, I just love that church. That's the church I want to be. Right, and I'm going to pray. Let's pray. So, Father God, I pray that you would just speak to us today, Lord. Open our hearts. Let us, reveal, let us uh, receive what you have to speak, Lord. Let me get out of your way, Lord. Let my my words just fall away, God, and yours come out. Lord, I pray we would all be willing to receive it. Lord, let us be forever changed by what you're going to do here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, So I'm going to go back to Revelations 2, but I just want to uh, encourage you that he doesn't say a lot of what Philadelphia is doing. He doesn't say like, you know, you guys are bringing in millions of converts a day. He's not saying, you know, you guys are feeding the homeless. He's not saying anything. He's saying you guys are staying true to me. And I'm going to bless that. Right? And uh, that's exciting to me. That's It's not the works that he's worried about. It's where your heart was, right? And that's what he's trying to explain to them. Your guys' hearts are right. You don't even have a lot of authority in your area, right? And we, We've seen churches that have a lot of authority within an area, and you look at them, you're like, is God in that? Right? Well, he's saying, hey, you don't have authority, but I'm there. And uh, that's encouraging to me. So then, now we're going to go to uh, Ephesus. And this would have been, obviously, the most famous of all the churches because we see that uh, all the apostles just about have done something in Ephesus. It was, it was very well uh, ministered to. And so in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says... I know your works, your toils, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, 
but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be fake. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up my namesake, and you have not grown weary. And this is some of that still that good stuff. You are following me. You're patient. You're enduring. And uh, I'd imagine when you first start reading that part of the letter, you're like, right, we got going on. But then he goes on and he says, but I have this against you. And that's, what, that's always a fear I have. I have this against you, right? And, and I often think, like, there has to be some things he has against us. And uh, he said, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And uh, as we read this, I'm going to challenge you to put your place in there. Not just look at our church as a whole, because it's easy to look at big church. It's easy to look at small church. Think about yourself and all that we're going to go through. But not like a uh, don't not like a condemnation of like where am I at, right? Because that's what we need to know. We need to know where we're at in this. Uh, and then he says, "Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life." which is in the paradise of God. So he he told them all the good stuff they were doing. And then he says, hey, but then I'm not your first love. You have other things in my way. But if you conquer that, you overcome that, you know, I'll be pleased. Basically what he's telling them, hey, just return back to me. Do what you did before. And uh really doesn't sound that harsh. This is one of the easier ones. But I think it's actually one of the more fearful ones. Because sometimes we think we're okay because we are doing the stuff in the beginning good and well. And we forget that maybe God's not first. Right? Then he goes to Smyrna. And uh, Smyrna, as we're going to see, uh, I like to call it the Church of Martyrs. And the reason why is because he pretty much tells them, some of you are going to die. Right, This is where Polycarp came out of. If you ever heard of Polycarp, the first martyr who was not in the Bible. At least the first one we know of that was not in the Bible. Polycarp would have been probably a disciple of John when he was in Smyrna. And uh, if you've never seen Polycarp, that's a great person to ever research. The guy was pretty awesome. You know, he, They wanted to kill him and they were going to burn him. They were going to stake him so he couldn't squirm. And he said, nope. Bring it on the way I am, right? <clears throat> I'll take it. And he did. And uh, he just died. Boy, he was stubborn. Um, okay, so verse 9 says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are uh, synagogues of Satan. And whenever it says, that's kind of, sometimes it confuses people when it says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. This is saying you don't have much. I know you don't have much. But you're rich in spirit. Right? You're rich in faith. You're rich in me. Right? So they're rich in 
heavenly things and kingdom things, but they don't have anything else. They don't have much, right? Which is uh, the way a lot of places people feel sometimes. It says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. And this is a God who's saying, I know you don't have much. I know you're very spiritual and I understand these things. And then he says, he doesn't say I'm going to deliver you from suffering. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. So he's telling them, it's about to get ugly. But I need you not to fear, right? I, I, I've heard people here lately say things are about to get ugly in America. Okay, don't fear it. I need you not to fear. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. If you want to know what that ten days you will have tribulation means, I don't know. Everything I've ever studied about that ten days, some people say literal ten days. Some people say a ten, uh, ten eras. Some people say ten generations. And I don't know. I just know it says ten days and I'm going to go with ten days. Uh, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And that tells me no matter what I'm going through, I have to be faithful unto death to get the crown of life. No matter what I go through. And uh, we have some people around us go through a lot. But right now, I have never seen people of the church as a whole and as this church and people I'm connected to go through more than I have right now. There's just so much going on. So many attacks after attacks after attacks. And just about every one of them are staying faithful. And I like that. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And uh, it says that. He who has ears, let him hear. And uh, We probably need to listen when he says it. Now we're going to Pergamum. And this would have been the capital of uh, Asia the Less, which was a Roman city. And uh, lots of people were there, right? And it said, uh, in verse 13 it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name. And you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so, here they are, they're being attacked for being followers of Christ, yet they never were ashamed. They never did deny. They never did turn. And uh, that's a good place to be, right? Because he said, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you, right? But then he goes on and he says, but I have a few things against you. I'm sure they're thinking like a few. How about just one? But a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. And this is this is very very thing, right? We We see this here. We have people who are worshiping false gods and sexual immorality. Then it says, so you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, they were, which were also idolaters and sexually immoral, uh, immoral. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And uh, 
He just wants us to repent of those things. He wants us not to be associated with any of that, right? We have some amongst us who are this way. There are some in churches now who live off of these things. They are following false idols because they're following a God who doesn't line up with the Bible. And whenever you say the Bible's not 100% true, then the God you are worshiping is a false idol, right? It cannot be anything different. We also have people who say sexual immorality is okay. We have people who are letting homosexuals be ministers in churches. We have people who are letting um, men who live with their girlfriends be ministers. We have people who are, you know, they say sexual immorality for this time is different than it was in that time. And that does not line up with the Word of God. So this church was like that, and we see it all over. I don't think we see those things in our church, in our local church, but we still have to be careful. We have to watch, make sure we're not okay with those things, right? And be on guard for it. Then he goes on in 17 and said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. And uh, I don't know what that hidden manna is, but I want it. You know what I mean? Like, I want that, like, I've always wanted to see the manna anyway, so I want that hidden manna. I want to conquer this. I want to overcome this. And then whenever you see the white stone, uh, that's always a confusing thought process for a lot of people. So a white stone would have been, a, there's a multiple things it could have been used to. It could have been used to uh, invite you to a great banquet. A white stone can be uh, your release from prison. Right? It could be a bill paid that they would give you a white stone for. So like it was like a legal thing or uh, I don't know. Every time it was ever presented the white stone, it was to release you or to invite you. And uh, I want that white stone, right? I want to be one of those who conquers. It says, uh, I will give you a white, give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I want that new name. I want that new name. Okay, we're going to move on because I don't want to be super late. Uh, Thyatira. This was uh, the smallest city that's written to, and it would have been considered the mo the least important city. Not to say it was not important because there's still a lot of uh, business and things that would go on there, but it was the smaller of them all. And uh, he says in verse 19, he says, I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. I like that. Those are some things to hold on to right there, right? And then verse 20, he says, but I have this against you. Like, this this, this was probably where the whole uh, thought process is for management where it says, you know, first give them a couple good things and then give them the negative. You know, so you don't just tear them. Jesus had that down from the get-go, you know. He's like, okay, first tell them these two good things and then tell them this, right? And uh, he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she refuses to re repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into 
sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay you any lay on you any of the burdens. And so there, you know, you hear all the time people saying there's a Jezebel spirit in the churches. There's a Jezebel spirit in the churches. Um, don't be distracted when people say that. What I have learned over the last probably five years about the Jezebel spirit that's supposed to be in the churches is people stop and they focus on the Jezebel spirit. Right? And they're like, what is it? How do we stop it? Right? And he said, just don't buy into the teachings of it. Those of you who don't buy into the teachings of it, he said, I do not lay any of the burdens I'm going to put on them on you. Right? So focus on doing what's right in yourself. Then he says, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron rod. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, if we stay faithful in this, we get authority. We now are put in place to rule with him. Right? I like that. I like I like all the good stuff in this. I don't like the negative stuff. I like the good stuff. Uh, Sardis, which is in Revelation 3. And uh, this was a very rich church, but it was kind of starting to die down. Uh, is in a very immoral area. And uh, from what I have read was Sardis at this point would have been known for people who were had, uh, what was the wording, easy money and loose morals. So we see that sometimes, easy money, loose morals. They would do whatever it took to get a dollar, and they would allow anything to happen, right? Uh, he says in verse 1, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains, and, or strengthen what remains, and is about to die. And I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And I, I've seen this. I always fear of this. A lot of people do a lot of good works, but it's not for God. It's for themselves. They're doing it out of selfish ambition. Whoa, look at us. Look what we're doing, right? Uh, we're, we're getting a lot done. And there's a lot of good works that go on in the world even today under the name of God that God's not a part of, right? And that's what he's telling these people. He's saying, you know, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And I would hate for somebody to think that I was alive when truthfully deep inside I was dead. I would hate for somebody to say like, oh, that one follows Christ. I know because they're always at church and they say the right things. No, we have to make sure our hearts are right. We have to make sure we're right with God. He said, remember then 
what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And uh, yet again, he doesn't say, hey, there are some people who are doing a good work and they're dead inside. Focus on them. He never says that. That's for those of you guys who don't get distracted by that and you are you honor me and you're doing the good and you're living, you're the ones who will be blessed. You're the ones who will be with me, right? One thing I, I appreciate that said over and over in these scriptures is he never says stop and focus on what people are doing wrong. Never once. He just says I find it against you. He never says stop and, and focus on it. Okay, Laodicea. Uh this was uh, one of the bigger cities. Very rich and a lot of influence, right? And so in verse 15, it says, I know your works. You are neither, neither cold. This is an interesting one here because I like, uh, I like that he, the way he starts out for Laodicea. Like I said, big, very big church. A uh, lot of money. Yet there's no good that he talks about here. That's scary. At least the other ones had something to work on. These ones here, there's nothing to work on. It says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, Pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so, the lukewarm people make him sick. Cold people don't even make him sick. Hot people obviously ain't going to make him sick, but lukewarm people make him sick. People who have the appearance of being godly, people who appear to be doing right, people who are, which is lining up right with the last church. And uh, they make him sick. It's still a heart thing, right? And uh, I don't have to tell you all about being lukewarm. We've all seen it. We've all studied it. We all fear it. Right? There's not a person in here who's like, I don't get this whole lukewarm thing. Everybody in here is like, yep, I pray all the time that I'm not lukewarm. Huh? Oh, yeah, we know it. So I'm going to go on to verse 18. It says, I counsel you to buy from me the gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments so that you may be clothed, may clothe yourself in shame of your nakedness and may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and uh, discipline. So be zealous and repent. And uh, that whole be zealous and repent is that's zeal, zeal for the Lord. It's contagious. And that zeal part, boy, even now the Holy Spirit just wells up in me. We prayed that, I don't know how long on Thursday night about that zeal for the Lord that's lacking, right? 
And if you would have been at prayer group on Thursday night and you saw Cyril preach this over and over, you just wanted to go out and fight the enemy real quick. You just wanted to punch Satan right in the throat. But that zeal for the Lord is what he's wanting for us. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him. And he with me and the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Also, I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And uh, I don't want to skim past a lot of that, but it says, I counsel you to buy the gold refined by fire. And that's saying, hey, I want you to let me cleanse you. I want you to come to me fully. You know, gold refined by fire has no impurity in it. It's purity. Right? I want you to seek what is pure. Right? And he says, so that you may be rich. We are rich by the things God gives us. We're not rich because of anything other than what God gives. And if we have something that is God-like, but it doesn't come from God, we're still poor and we're broke. And then he wants to clothe us in righteousness. Man, that is beautiful. Right now we, we depend on his righteousness. We can only live in his righteousness. It's only be through Jesus Christ that we are right with God the Father. It's the only way we're right with God the Father. But if we live right, eventually we will be in our own righteousness. We will have our own white robe. And we will be right with God one-on-one. And I just absolutely love that. And uh, I'm going to close this out. And Tracy, you can come on up. I'm going to close this out in Philippians 4.8. Because I think this is very important for us to remember this. You know, we see all the problems in the church. I can read through those again, and every last one of us would say, yep, I've seen that in this church, I've seen that in that church, I've seen this all over the place. And, you know, the world is really good at pointing out the problems with the church, but the church is also at times. We are also. I do the same thing, you know, there's certain pastors I hear of, and I'm like, oh yeah, that guy does this. I never say the good stuff, I always start right with, I have this against you. You know, Jesus at least told them the good stuff. And, uh, Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Right? I don't have, I don't have to change a pastor's heart. I don't have to change a church's heart. I don't have to like, I don't have to look at somebody and say, you know, you're doing all this wrong and you should be doing this. Right? That's not my job. That's God's job. God convicts. Right? But he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. And a lot of times whenever people read this, they're like, yeah, what's good? We're going to think about it. And they forget that we don't. We often like to look at the negative or or complain about things and all that, but he said, whatever, brothers, whatever is true. So that's whatever lines up with God. Truth is whatever lines up with God. So he's like, hey, think about the things that are lining up with God, right? Whatever is honorable. So whatever is worthy of praise, whatever is worthy of being brought to honor. Well, what's worthy of being brought honor? Only the things of God, right? 
whatever is just, whatever is just means whatever has already been set apart for God and whatever is moral, whatever is right, right? Well, still comes back to God. Whatever is pure, whatever pure is pure means it's been refined by that fire. It means it is set apart for God. There's nothing in it but of what is of God. Whatever is lovely. And the whatever is lovely word, I wanted to make sure I knew what that meant because I was thinking of God they love, but it's actually a word that comes out of phileo love, which is brotherly love. Whatever is lovely, whatever is, you know, you look at and it's good is what it's talking about. And it says whatever is commendable. So whatever is worthy of praise. And if there's anything that is of excellence, anything that is of excellence, that's not like they do this well, but then this. It says, what do they do well? Focus on that, right? What do you do well? So it's easier for us, especially as Christians, to focus on what we do wrong. On the middle part. We don't focus on the first part Jesus talks about or the second part. We usually focus on that middle part of, I'm doing all this wrong. And, and you know, anytime you ever hear people say, when I grow up, I don't want to be like my parents. And they focus on not being like their parents. And what happens? Just like their parents. Happens every time. We've all seen it. Anybody who don't want to be like their parents will be just like their parents. Instead of focusing on what they should be like. Focusing on a good parent. Focusing on what's right. People who focus on being a good parent, being a, a good husband or a good wife, guess what they become? Good parents, good husbands, good wives. But if they're just focused on not being like somebody else, they'll be just like it because that's where their focus is at. And if we focus on the negative things in our lives where we don't line up, it's all that we'll be consumed with. If anything is worthy of praise, focus on it. It says, think about these things. And so I want you to think about that. I want you. To, I want to encourage you to be always... Uh, intentional about what you think about what enters your mind what's not what's entering your mind what you're allowing to stay in your mind right what are your thoughts stay on does it stay on the negative or does it stay on the positive does it stay on what's wrong or does it stay on what's good right not to say that we just turn a blind eye to what's wrong no turn into the positive of how we're going to fix that focus on the good stuff, right? If I see somebody who's hungry, I don't focus on, hey, they need food. I focus on, hey, you know what? God provided for me and I can go help that person. I'm going to focus on the good part of it, not the bad part of it, right? There's a lot of ways we can change the way our mindsets are that'll help us change, that'll help the church change, but focusing on negative will never do it. Focusing on what's found wrong in us. God shows us what's wrong in us so we repent and turn from it, not so we sit there and focus on it. Right? We all have a lot wrong with us. And if you don't know what's wrong with you, somebody will eventually tell you, I promise you. But don't let it. Don't let that hold on to you either. Because people are always going to be quick to tell you your problems. And a lot less quick to tell you you're good. But you focus on the good. 
you focus on what God says. You focus on this word. If you're in this word, you're reading this word all the time. There's going to be times you're reading this word. You're going to be like, oh man, I'm missing that. There's going to be other times you read this word and you're like, whoo, I got that right. You know, I'm doing good. Jesus is working in me. And you know Jesus is working in you because you're starting to line up with the word. Focus on that. You know, anybody who's ever went out and done any ministry or anybody who's went out and helped somebody else, when you're done, you come home and you feel good about it. And then you're like, I don't want to get prideful of it. No, don't get prideful of it. Focus on that. Enjoy it. You know, praise the Lord for it. But those are the things you keep doing. Right? You don't stop. You you keep doing the good thing. You keep focusing on the good things. Not on what's wrong. I can sit here and go on for hours about what's wrong with our nation. You know what that helps? Nothing. It just now gets you thinking about what's wrong with our nation. Scripture says, what you sow, you will reap. And if I'm sowing these negative things, I will always have negativity around me. If I sow doubt, I will always have doubt around me. But if I start sowing good, and I start focusing on good, there's going to start being good happening around me. Because what you sow, you reap. It doesn't say what you sow, you might reap. And it doesn't say you may reap something you didn't sow. It actually says you will sow what you reap. Or reap what you sow. Not to say that there can't be negative around you and all that, but it ain't what you're reaping. Somebody may still abuse you, just like in uh, Smyrna. Somebody may still do that. But you know what? If you're focusing on the Lord, you're focusing on what's good, it ain't even going to bother you. You're going to be like Polycarp. You're going to be like, burn me up. That's all right. I'm going to do this for the Lord. And your mindset can get you through anything. And we're in a world right now who needs us to be focusing on the good. They need it. We need it. You will not survive without it. It is impossible. And uh, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship. If you need prayer, I'll pray for you. But I hope we can just focus so much more on the good. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that, Lord, that you do point out the good in us, God, and you show us that. And then you also remind us of the things you don't like, what you have against us, Lord. But never in your word did it say to to focus on that. It said to repent and turn from it and to focus on these other things, Lord, the good things, the things you have for us, God. To return to our love, to to do what we did in the beginning, God, to to love one another, to serve one another, Lord. Let us focus on your good, Lord, on the good things, God. Help us to be intentional about that, Lord. Help us to be contagious about that, Lord. But Lord, we need you. On our own, we can't do this, but with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and with our surrender, Lord, you can take captive every one of those negative thoughts, Lord. And they can be refined through the fire to be a thought that's worthy of you. God, I pray you help us. God, just search us.
encourage you guys that I know that sometimes you can hear something like that and think that uh, somebody's saying that, you know, don't worry about the things wrong in your life. We do. We, when Jesus convinces us and tells us that, hey, these things are wrong, I find these things in you that I'm not pleased with, that's love when he tells us that. And he will discipline us because a good father will discipline us. But he is a loving father. He's a perfect father. Nothing like any earthly father we've ever seen. That when he disciplines us, it's so he can get the good out of us. It's so we would turn from those things. And he doesn't ever want us to stay in that discipline. Right? He don't ever want us to stay into that moment to where he's getting our attention there. He's saying, hey, I find this wrong. Now go and not do that. You know, go and do what's good. And uh, so I just pray for us that, uh, you know, I, I love those those churches. I would, they always give me a good idea of where I'm at. And uh, But sometimes you can focus a little too long on the things that are wrong and not enough on what he's telling you to do. And so I think for me, I have them highlighted. I have all the negative highlighted in that. I have all the good highlighted in that. And then I have a different highlighting what he told me to do and I like to go through and read all of the negative first and I read that negative and I figure out everything that may be wrong and I pray about it and I pray I read the good and I like the good and probably I should read the good first because he wrote it first and he's probably trying to encourage us before we go into the negative but then I can see the good in me and then I read the things of what he tells me to do and I pray about it tell you what it changes everything because you're not stuck in that moment of like well here's the negative how many of us have ever heard somebody like speak of the churches in revelation all they ever speak about is the things that are wrong you hardly ever hear them speak about the good stuff and, and most people when they speak about the church in america you hear nothing but negative but tell you what if there wasn't this church in america that we have i would not ever want to step a foot on the land Everything good in this country, God has done through the churches. And uh, I like that. I like that. We can, we, can, we can beat ourselves up sometimes thinking we need to do more, we need to do more. No, we need to do what God calls us to do. He'll do the more. We, we do what He calls us to. It's, it's, it's very free. We don't have to go out and figure out how we're going to do everything. We just say, hey, God, whatever you call us to do, we're all in. Right. So I'm going to close with some prayer, and I thank you guys, and I love you all. But Father God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your perfect love, that you're the perfect Father, Lord. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for that promise of resurrection, Lord. We thank you that because we follow you and we stick towards your plan, Lord, that that we will be clothed in white, Lord. We will have that white stone invitation, Lord. We will walk with you forever, Lord, and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us not be distracted by the negative. But let us focus on the good. Let us focus on what you're calling us to do, Lord. And everything you've talked to those churches about, Lord, it was never to go do more, more, more. It was to return to you, to love you, to follow you. 
And so, Lord, I pray you would help us in that, God. Let us not even be distracted by the plans we may create on our own, Lord, but we'd only focus on what is good and pleasing to you. I thank you, Jesus. We love you. And I pray you be with all of us in Jesus.